Uh, friends, we are in uh, Book of Ephesians. If uh, you want to head there in chapter three, that would be super helpful. And uh, if you're visiting with us, and some of you are, we are in a series on our commitments as a church, uh, which is uh, a list of things that we have uh, identified as being valuable and essential to who we are as God's people gathered, and to us particularly in our context in the inner west. Uh, and so, this is number six on prayer. Uh, so, let us pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that we come to you now uh, without restriction, without anything holding us back, without uh, any fear or concern that you wouldn't hear us. We thank you that we come to you as our Father. And we pray to you as the one who is powerful, not only to answer our prayers, but the one who longs to, because you love us. Amen. Some of the uh, commitments that we've gone through in this series are, I think we are strong on as a church. Uh, the call to be God's family, uh, to be renewed by the gospel, to follow Jesus as disciples in all of life. These are some of the things that we've really grown in and are strong in as a church. Uh, but some of them we have room to grow in. And I think, and we think as a leadership team, that prayer is one of the ones that we have lots of room to grow in. Uh, you know how they don't like to call them strengths and weaknesses in lots of uh, uh, instances. We only call them growth areas. And so that's a nice, positive way to put it. This is something that we can grow in. And I'm in as much... Um, do I need to change mic or are we okay? Okay, I'll change mic. Excuse me, guys. How's that? All right, where were we? Uh, I feel like I'm in as much of a position um, to be preached to on this one as anyone, because I know that I find prayer hard, I find it difficult to be persistent in and consistent in, and I need to grow in this as much as anyone in this room. Uh, so before we even start on this subject, let's just say how good is God in that he is gracious and patient with us. And that he longs to draw us closer to him in relationship and intimacy. Uh, he longs that we would gain the kind of closeness to him that can only come through prayer. To discover the power to change that can only come through prayer. And to see the fruits of Christian maturity that can only come through prayer. God longs for us to pray and yet he is also patient with us. And gracious with us. J.I. Packer writes, um, I believe that prayer is the measure of the person spiritually in a way that nothing else is, so that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. How we pray. So how do we pray? Well, we know that we could pray more than we do, right? We could pray more than we do. No doubt we all pray here. We are uh, followers of Jesus. We pray. We pray at home. We pray in the car. We pray at work. We pray on the train. Uh, in our uh, church, we pray as missional communities. We pray as gospel groups. We pray on Sundays. But we know we could pray more. We could carve out more time, both alone and together, to pray. We know that. But actually, my concern today is not so much how much we pray how often we pray or for how long we pray. It's not so much my concern today. My concern is the thing that I think dictates, or one of the main things that dictates the quantity of our prayer, 
and that is the qualities of our prayers. The quality of our prayers. I wonder if two things, at least two things, probably more, but at least two things drive some of our prayerlessness in our church, and I think probably in the Western church in general. We have generally, I think, low expectations of what God wants our church to be. We have generally low expectations of what our church could be, should be, ought to be. So why pray if we are too easily satisfied? And we have generally high expectations of what we can be without God's help. So why pray when we can become what we want without him? I think some of our prayerlessness is driven because of our low expectations for the church and our high expectations of ourselves. But what if God's vision for his church is far, far above our wildest dreams? What if it is far, far more than we are ever satisfied with? And what if our dependence on God for his help is far, far greater than our greatest imaginations? If we believe that, then I think our prayers would change. Uh, yes, they would become more urgent. Yes, they would go deeper. Now, shallow prayers um, generally consist of lists of things that we want. I want this, I want this, please God, give me this, this, and this. And lots of things are good, good things to pray. Jesus says, bring every, every request to the Father because he loves us and listens to us and wants to reply to us. But actually, there is a deeper request that should be more primary in our minds and in our prayers. A request is actually more important than success, more important than growth, more important than help and care, although these are good things to ask for. And that is a request for more of God. Don Carson writes, uh, we think too little of what God is like, of his wisdom, knowledge, power, love, transcendence, mystery and glory. We are not intoxicated by his holiness and love. His thoughts and words capture too little of our imagination, too little of our discourse, too few of our priorities. We think too little of what God is like. We could also say that we pray too little for what God is like. In Ephesians 3, Paul uh, prays on behalf of this little fledgling community in Ephesus uh, who no doubt had pressing needs, probably far, far more needs than we have as a church. But Paul's prayer here goes to the heart of what they really need, what they most deeply need. And so he prays four things. He prays two the powerful Father. Secondly, he prays for powerful inner strength. Third, he prays for a powerful experience of God's love. And fourthly, he prays for the powerful reality of God's fullness. To the powerful Father, for powerful inner strength, for a powerful experience of God's love, and for the powerful reality of God's fullness. And so we're going to move through this prayer and learn from Paul how to pray for our church and how to pray as a church. And as we go, pay attention because at the end of it, 
Um, we're not doing Q&A today. I'm going to get you to pray for these things. So first of all, he prays to the powerful Father. Verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Who do we pray to? We are communicating directly with the eternal God of the universe, the one who, by a word of his power, brought all things into being, the God who stands beyond time, who is perfect and holy, so pure in himself that for us to approach him, for a human being to approach him, is to risk destruction simply by the proximity of his presence. That's the God we pray to. And yet we pray and we do come close. We come close to him because prayer brings us spiritually into the very throne room of heaven. We talk to God and miraculously we are not destroyed. Why? Because Jesus in his death has clothed us in his perfection and holiness. So now we approach God without fear because we approach as Jesus does as his son or daughter. And yet, Paul does not take this privilege lightly, and it is a privilege. Paul says, I, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He gets to his knees, literally, in reverence and awe. Paul is totally aware of his complete and utter dependence on God, that this is the God who gives life and existence to all families of all living things, whether in heaven or on earth. He is the one who gives them their name. That is the one who rules over them, who defines their reality. This is this God. And it might not be that we literally pray as uh, kneeling, although maybe we should more, but we ought to at least approach prayer spiritually and emotionally and mentally kneeling, taking on a posture before God of reverence and awe, of humility and dependence. We must not take prayer too lightly. And so this is the paradox of prayer, isn't it? That neither should we imagine a God who is far off and distant. Our prayer should not be too casual, but neither should they be too formal. Because God is God, and yet God is also our Father. We approach the king of the universe like a child approaches the ruler of a country with the assumption that he loves us, cares for us, and is devoted to our good, despite his royal personage. Our relationship with God is the same kind of intimacy and trust as between a parent and a child. The God we pray to is powerful enough to answer our prayers and good enough that he wants to, longs to, yearns to. So, this is the God we pray to. What should we pray for? What should we ask? Well, the Bible tells us to take all our requests to God. So, so many, many, many things that we should pray for. But there are deep things that if God granted us would take care of lots of the smaller things. So Paul says that we should pray for power. Now this might take us aback a bit because 
Power has different connotations, doesn't it? it might, you might think power and you think some kind of hyped up spiritual experience power. Or it might mean that you think power as in power to dominate or abuse or use against someone. But that's not the power Paul's talking about. Uh, to use a car as an illustration, um, there's no point wanting the wheels to turn or the air conditioner to go on or the lights to go on or the indicator to blink unless there's power in the battery and there's fuel in the tank. So Paul is simply saying, don't just pray for the workings of God's kingdom. More importantly, pray for the power that makes it work. Pray for power. In three ways. Uh, Paul says first, pray for powerful inner strength. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, lots of different religions advocate for inner strength. Uh, generally, the kind of strength that comes through certain activities, right? So you get strength from meditating on top of a mountain or uh, strength through yoga or strength through body training or strength through cold showers. Tim, do you get that? Yeah. Uh, Christianity bucks the trend. We do want inner strength. The Bible says, yes, absolutely, we want inner strength, but it doesn't come through external resolve. True inner strength, the true inner strength that brings with it spiritual resilience and confidence and trust and hope does not come through outer resolve, but through inner dwellings. Look at the two parts of this section here. Uh, Paul says, uh, pray to be strengthened, or he prays for the church, and I think rightly we should copy this prayer. Pray to be strengthened by power through God's spirit in your inner being. That's the first part. Second, so that Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. Pray, for, pray to be strengthened by power through God's spirit in your inner being, so that Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. Uh, let's be clear about something here. Paul's not saying that if the Spirit kind of does enough work in us, gives us enough power, then Jesus turns up and moves in. It's not one thing happens and the next thing happens. The Holy Spirit, we know, is Christ in us, the presence of Jesus living and indwelling in us. To be a Christian is, have, is to have Christ in us in your heart, in the person of the Spirit. So what's going on? Well, you know those YouTube channels where um, some couple buys a run-down French villa? There's so many of them that there seem to be more than the amount of French villas actually available. But anyway, uh, this is what happens. They, they buy one and they're ridiculously cheap, like crazy cheap. And so you think, what a bargain. You get a French villa, beautiful, and they buy it and they move in and then they realise why it's so cheap. Because <laughs> uh, nothing works and the place is falling down. Dodgy electricity, no running water, mould and damp, structural problems. And yet they persist, they move in and it, after an immense amount of work and draining money <laughs> into it, they restore it to its former glory. At least that's the plan. 
when Christ moves into our hearts by the Spirit, he takes over a life in mess. But he is now Lord of the manor. And he is determined to chuck out the garbage and restore us to glory. He wants to make us a dwelling place fit for the presence of God. As the Spirit works in us, Christ doesn't move in for the first time, but makes us a dwelling place fit for him. He settles in, settles down, fixes up. Our responsibility then is to grow in faith, that is accepting God's offer of free grace, trusting that he will be for us all we need him to be. As one writer puts it, faith is full surrender to God in Christ so that one expects everything from God and yields everything to God. This is a wonderful prayer to pray because it is a counteraction to our own natural tendencies to expect too little of God and too much of ourselves. It says, Father, we imagine that we are strong, but actually we are weak. We are running on depleted batteries. Fill us with the power of Christ. Fill us with your spirit so that we can find true strength to be all you want us to be. May Christ dwell in us through faith. This is the prayer for each of us, and it's a prayer for our our church. It teaches us to expect very little of our own strength and much of God's strength. It is a prayer for our hearts, the deepest part of us, the core of our deepest longings and loves, to be filled with Christ and be strengthened in our inner being. And Paul moves on. He then prays for a powerful experience of God's love. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, for many people, um, inner strength would be the goal. That's what you want. That's, That's the end goal of life. But for Christians, inner strength is just the beginning. As Christ dwells in our hearts, we become rooted and established in love. As, as Don Carson puts it again, we are the, love is the soil in which we are growing, the foundation upon which we are built. And this isn't actually a prayer to love others more, interestingly enough. That's a good thing to pray for. But this is not what Paul's praying. It's, it's something that goes deeper, actually, more foundational. It's a prayer that we would experience God's love for us. Paul assumes that we all underestimate God's love. That no one in this room grasps the height, the width, the depth, or the breadth of God's love. We all drastically underestimate God's love for us. Paul says this is a love that actually goes beyond rationality. It goes beyond the capacity of the human mind to grasp. Trying to know the love of God is like trying to fill a toy bucket with the ocean. I remember reading of a, a Christian leader who, who deeply prayed to experience God's love. And God answered that prayer to such an extent that he was so overwhelmed and overcome, he had to pray for God to stop. 
It was just too much. He couldn't take it. Now, it's true that some people experience love differently than others. Some people wear their heart on their sleeve and they don't find it hard to experience and feel the love of God. Um, some naturally keep their emotions in check and so find it perhaps harder to emotionally engage in the Christian faith. And I've had conversations with lots of people like that. But here, that this, this prayer is not just to understand God's love, actually. It's to receive it and to respond to it. And so Paul says, look, if you struggle to emotionally connect your heart to the love of God, then, then actually pray for it. Don't just work harder. Pray for it. Ask God for you to be able to grasp it even a little bit. To return to my uh, car analogy, and this time I'll make an electric car just for the, because I like electric cars. Uh, if Christ is the battery, then his love is the electricity that flows powerfully through us and brings life to our spirits. Connecting, being connected to it is the thing that brings power. Uh, unless Christ dwells in us, then we can't receive his love. And to the extent that we grasp his love, we, we, we will be filled with God's fullness. And so this is the final thing he prays. He says he prays for the powerful reality of God's fullness. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Finally, we come to the goal of the prayer. If Christ dwells in us by the Spirit, and if we begin to grasp God's immense love, then power is unleashed to transform us in every way. There's a parallel passage in um, Colossians, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In other words, all that God is, is in Christ. And all that Christ is, in, is in us. So that all we are might increasingly become all that Christ is. Let me ground it a bit more. Um, after this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, in the next chapters, Paul begins, kind of launches into this long section of what the church ought to be, what Christians ought to be. And there's lots of practical, pragmatic instructions. Uh, become mature in Christ. Stand firm against false teaching. Put off lying and speak truth. Don't sin in anger. Don't speak rubbish. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander and malice. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive each other. Walk in the way of love. Flee from sexual immorality and impurity and greed. And on and on and on it goes. And it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. All the way up to chapter 6, the end of the book in verse 18. And then Paul says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You see what's going on? In chapter 3, Paul prays this undergirding prayer that they would experience the love of God in Christ and be filled to the fullness of God. And in chapter 6, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. On one end is Paul's prayer for the church, on the other end is a command that all believers pray for the church, and in the middle is all the things a church could be. 
You're picking up what's going on. Paul says, these things don't come about unless they come through prayer. And they don't come about unless we pray to be filled with the fullness of God in Christ and to know his love. So what do we want for Inner West? Do we want to be all these things? I think God says to us, if, if you're satisfied with where we are, then be less satisfied. God loves us as we are, but he wants us to be more than we are. And if you are dissatisfied, dissatisfied with where we are, but relying on your own ability to make things better by yourself, then God says be less self-dependent. God wants us to expect more of him and less of us. And if we want to grow to reflect the fullness of God and to become a people that shine with his glory, then our prayers have to go wider, they have to go longer, they have to go deeper, and they have to go higher. They have to reflect a deep desire for the power of God to give us inner strength and to grasp the immensity of his love. Our prayers have to bring us to the truth that God sees us at our very worst and yet loves us with his very best. They have to bring us back again and again to the place where love and mercy meet to the foot of the cross where God loved us and gave himself for us. And there at the cross, Paul says in Philippians, Christ, the fullness of God, emptied himself. The fullness emptied himself, taking on the form of weak humanity, even emptying himself of his life and breath, so that in his overcoming of sin and death, we might be filled with his fullness. Family, in this series, um, I've tried to give us some really practical ways for us to commit and recommit ourselves to, to God with our commitments. Uh, and today, I, I just have one thing to suggest. Not more prayer meetings. You'll be happy to know. Not longer prayer times. Not schedules or apps or reminders or structures or good things. Talk about another time. Just this. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every time we prayed, whether alone or together, that someone would pray for power? For, the, for power for the inner strengthening of the Spirit, power to grasp more fully the unfathomable love of God in Christ, and power to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And for everyone listening to say, Amen. Truly, I agree. And I wonder if that prayer, prayed often and prayed with depth and sincerity, prayed kneeling before the Father in dependence and trust, would accord to us transformation. I wonder if it would bring to us actually all the things that we also pray for, and perhaps all some of the things that we don't pray for, but if we knew God's love, we would. I wonder, actually, if it would bring to us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to God's power at work within us. So this is the statement that we've written. 
and it captures more than this sermon, actually. We are committed to being a people of prayer. Being and speaking with God through prayer provokes in us love for God, gratitude for his grace, confidence in his promises, and strength in suffering and trials. Through prayer, the Holy Spirit leads our plans and guides our actions. So we are committed to becoming persistent in prayer in our personal lives and as a community.